New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. The distance between ourselves and others is the same as the distance between ourselves and ourselves. These are the words of our guest today, and this implies that our relationship with ourselves and the world around us are a mirror for our relationship with ourselves. The more we are connected to ourselves, the more deeply we are connected to others and the external world. Our relationship with ourselves, however, is frequently limited by feelings that we cannot meet, accept, hold, and welcome. Resolving this conundrum serves as the focus for this edition of New Dimensions with our guest, Dr. Richard Moss. Richard Moss received his doctorate of medicine in 1972, but after a few years of general practice, a life-changing realization led him to his true calling, the exploration of spiritual awakening and its integration in daily life. For more than three decades, Richard has been working intimately with groups, helping people all over the world to touch their deeper essence and thus transform their lives. He's the author of several books, including The Black Butterfly, The Mandala of Being, Discovering the Power of Awareness, and Inside Out Healing, Transforming Your Life Through the Power of Presence. Join us for the next hour as we explore the doorway to being present to life, even in the midst of challenging circumstances with our guest, Dr. Richard Moss. My name is Michael Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Richard, welcome. Oh, thank you, Michael. It's always a joy to be with you and Justine. Yeah, so good. Uh, Richard, let's, let, let's just talk about when you, some people may not be aware, when you gave up the practice of medicine, tell us about that. It was a, well, and it's always interesting to, to relive your own past and it, it was, it was a deep movement from within culminating, um, a movement to, to introvert, a movement pulling back away from the world, um, that it was almost impossible to avoid. A powerful dream one night made it really, really clear to me, and, and I contemplated the dream for weeks and then went and resigned from the partnership that I was part of that, uh, as a medical doctor. And I started just being alone with myself, you know, meditating many hours in the morning, um, going for long walks and then one day I had uh, just sitting quietly a black butterfly landed in the middle of my forehead after I watched I say black it was dark there was a dark butterfly I don't mean dark it was a beautiful sunny morning but there's a dark colored butterfly and a white one that had been mating in the air and the dark one landed in the middle of my forehead and then suddenly at the root of all of the religious traditions the mystical traditions is the experience of where form and formlessness become the same thing, where where there is only being. Uh, 
And my being was the being of everything, and Richard, the observing ego, became a tiny little point. And after that, there was just energy, presence, a whole new dimension of empathy, compassion, feeling, uh, a rough ride in many, many ways, as I've chronicled in some of my books, you know, learning to integrate that. It was just such a profound change in my perception. So the first book that I wrote was called The I, capital I, like the I that is we. It was a direct realization that I am not separate from anything. I am part of everything. And at the root of all that is uh, ineffable, sublime mystery, which we can call consciousness or awareness. And I realized that, and, and that has become the center of my life ever since. So basically, that awareness is the awareness we experience when we are fully present. I think your original intention had been to take some time off and go back to the practice of medicine, but you did not go back. No, I, I, yeah, I didn't think, I didn't know what was going to happen in my life. I didn't realize the power of what was calling me. Um, and no, I didn't go back because something became so rich, so alive, there was no turning back. And now, as you say, it's nearly 35 years since that time. And I've spent this um, thousands of retreats with you know tens of thousands of people from many, many countries. And I've basically watched human suffering and, and human aspiration in every form you can consider. And how profound we are! How profoundly we can grow and change, if we really follow a path that that, that makes it that will actually show us how. That underscores your work is like living in the now. So, well, what are we talking about? Living in the now. Yeah. Well, just I think my first tastes of that were as a mountaineer and a rock climber. You you get into what is commonly called flow or the zone. It's a profound experience. It's addictive. Anyone who knows it loves it. I mean, and and that you know on a scale of one to ten, I think deep deep flow might get to a four in terms of the kind of experience I had, which was more like a ten. Um, because you go into the deep flow, you don't come back. You, you come back straight into the same old ego structure, same old design, and you try to find the flow again. But what living in the now is an abstraction. What it really is is a a, a quality of mind, which even if it awakens as it did with me spontaneously, then it has to be cultivated through practice. And the nature of that quality of mind is that you're profoundly capable of observing and perceiving and uh, sensing uh, very deep focus, but at the same time, the mind is very spacious. It's not narrowed. It's not contracted. A medical education, for example, is a highly concentrated narrowing of the mind around information, and you lose track of, of a much larger perspective of connection, compassion, empathy, uh, and a realization of how vast the world is. And the other aspect for me of what it really means to be in the now is that the body is literally the center of that experience, not incidental. And it is profoundly relaxed and at the same time wide, wide awake. Most of us, when we get relaxed, we drift away, we space out, we fall asleep. Or if we're very awake, we're very tense, vigilant, ang you know, armored. Um, the state that, that I'm talking about and which can be realized and also developed, cultivated through practice is, is one in which you are in your body Every cell feels alive. There's a current moving through you all the time. The current deepens as soon as you get quiet. Um, and then every sense comes alive. And this state has never left me. I mean, I leave it to absorb myself in something like writing or focusing on something else or watching a film. Or, 
but it never leaves. It's just, it literally inhabits me and emanates as a presence, which affects people all the time when they're around me. You mentioned presence. You talk about the power of presence. What is the power of presence? Well, you know, we live in a world, and it's paradoxical, in which we see there are tremendous problems and we want to solve the problems. And so we, we tend to be problem-oriented and problem-solving oriented. But there is something we need first, which is a deeper connection to ourselves, to come fully, deeply embodied into the deepest levels of your mind and the deepest experience of connection to yourself, embodiment in yourself. This leads to con an, an experience of universal wisdom or universal intelligence, if you will. And at the heart of that is a sense of being at one with or belonging to this world. And so that becomes almost like a, 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 a song in the heart. It's a living, breathing vibration of connection. And then when you go to solve problems and you use reason and intellect in the world, you do it from a ground of profound connection. And that presence that profound connection is an emanation. It, it literally radiates from you. It, it changes the field of consciousness wherever you are, influences everybody. So the closer any of us come to the present moment and to embodiment in ourselves, the closer we come to a deeper universal intelligence. And we don't have to learn it from books. We know it. And then when we see it in books, we recognize it. After my experience 35 years ago, I immediately understood some of the most esoteric texts um, that had made no sense to me before. Um, not really. Um, and they made total sense to me. Uh, like the Gnostic texts, the inner and the outer shall be a single one. This deep, profound awareness or consciousness that is the, the root of our experience of being, the deepest part of us, um, and the closer you come to that, the, which is what I mean by the power of presence, the more you free yourself from the stories uh, and the emotional quagmire that your thinking creates, and the more you're capable of creating a safe space for the really challenging feelings that, as a f being, we're, we're not only thinking beings, we're feeling beings. It's a mode of consciousness, and it's not carefully addressed in, in Western education at all. There, there, you said that we make two basic mistakes. One, we identify with our thoughts, and the other, in that we're, because we're afraid of feelings, we flee, causing the ego to close off the inner life and the source of healing. Uh, so there's two basic mistakes. So let's talk a little bit about, more about those. Yeah. Well, you know, the interesting thing about having a background in medicine is when there's an illness, you try to find the cause of it. You try to diagnose it. And a diagnosis nowadays often doesn't necessarily mean we have a treatment. But in, in this instance, what I've come to from observation of myself uh, in deep contemplation and meditation from the experience that has been growing these 35 years and from these thousands of people is that, and as you just look out at the world and you listen to the argument and the opinion, that the main mistake is that thinking um, should not be a source of identity. When we identify with our thoughts and we derive a sense of self through identification with our own beliefs, our own belief systems, our own opinions, at that moment, thinking becomes inferior. Thinking becomes flawed and, and limited. 
because there's always the, the aware one, the one that is aware of the thought, that can challenge the thought, that can question the thought. So the fundamental first mistake at the level of thinking is deriving a sense of self or identity and building an ego out of identification with your thinking. Um, it's so obvious that if you have a thought, some part of you is aware of that thought. So why do you make the thought the primary truth and not the awareness of the thought, the deeper truth. The second essential mistake, or going back momentarily, the reason that that's a terrible mistake is that we pit, we, we're not living deep enough or close enough to ourselves, and so we're living in belief systems that cause us to polarize and, and be in conflict, with, both within ourselves, because we can have conflicting beliefs within ourselves, and, and between each other all the time whether it's in marriages or between religious groups or between nations, we're listening and looking at people who are identified with thoughts and not the awareness of those thoughts. It's a dream, as has always been said. And then having said that and, and, and the, why it's such a dangerous thing, why that is a fundamental illness in our world at the stage that we are at now in consciousness, the second thing is that the other essential mode of consciousness is feeling. And feelings come and go like weather. But if you have feelings, and some, some of these feelings are intensified by toxicity or trauma or illness or early, early traumatic events, but also spiritual openings and thing, things that, um, that lead to, to profound and powerful feeling, and you run from the feeling, the only place you can run is into your ego's defensive structure, which will take you into past thoughts and future thoughts and interpretations and judgments of yourself and of the feeling and of the world. And you, so you run away from the feeling. There's no safe place for the feeling inside of you. And that fear of our own feeling is really disabling for us. I'm speaking with Richard Moss. He's the author of Inside Out Healing, Transforming Your Life Through the Power of Presence. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. My guest is Richard Moss. He's the author of Inside Out Healing, Transforming Your Life Through the Power of Presence. Richard, we were talking about the two basic mistakes that we make. One was identifying with the thoughts, and then we're talking about afraid of feelings and what this causes. Will you just continue with that? Yeah, I think this is maybe the heart of my work. I'm, the question I ask all the time is, who would you be if you weren't afraid of your feelings? How would you live? How would you love? Um, Feeling is a mode of consciousness. It includes things like sensation. Um, it gives us information in the present moment, whereas thinking is a, a mode of consciousness made on 
by representing things conceptually in words, um, thinking ceases when we're in the present moment and gives way to just consciousness, just awareness or being. But but in the present moment, feeling becomes even more vital and alive. Now the problem is, from early in life, certain feelings are very difficult, and as the, even as just little babies and children, we're afraid of those feelings. We run from those feelings. We cry. We scream. We ask to be protected from them. That's what our mothers do, or our caregivers do, or our parents try to do for us. So we have a literally a habit from early life of fleeing anything that's deeply distressing or disturbing to us, and that's the problem. As adults, we flee into defensive structures uh, away from our feelings. We have to see that, that feeling is a, a, an essential mode of consciousness. It, it's the way you know who you are and how you are in yourself. It's the way you know what's right for you in the moment or situation that's right for you or how you are in yourself that's good or not good for you. Um, so it gives you a felt sense of yourself. It, and it's... It's learning to make a safe place for these feelings that, that distinguishes, let's say, an, a, a fairly unconscious person from, from, in spiritual sense, a master. Because even if you read the Dalai Lama, the pain and fear and anguish he went through at the time when he fled Tibet, and even to this day, he'll honestly talk about suffering in many different ways. Everybody's going to feel things that are difficult. The point is, what are you going to do with them? What kind of space will you create with them? How will you hold them in your being with your awareness? Will you be gentle with yourself? It's so important to be gentle. Will you, will you have mercy with yourself? Will, will there be humility? Um, the problem, if, if you run away from a feeling and, and link it to thinking, is that it's going to turn into emotions. And emotions are very distinct from feeling. They are, for example, guilt or regret or blame or envy or jealousy or future fears or, or past, I said, regrets. Things like those kinds of feelings are really what what I call emotions, they are created by thinking. And if you interrupt the thinking, the motion goes, the emotion stops. You, you cannot have envy without a thought. You can't have regret without a thought. But you can have the pure feeling of joy without a thought, gratitude without a thought. They're natural feelings. But also you can have dread and a certain form of abysmal or despairing feeling without a thought. These, it, it, just like the weather can be stormy or the weather can be wonderful and clear and sunny and uh, so too the weather moves inside of us and gives us constant information about our world. And we are profoundly initiated by the most difficult feelings. Those throughout mythology are the feelings that we have got to encounter to be awakened deeply to compassion and to be awakened to humility and to be awakened to the sense of ourselves as being a part of a vast wholeness and and being responsible to do our best to serve the good of all within that vast wholeness. So my work with everyone all these years and with myself has been, how do we stop being afraid of our feelings? How do we stop identifying with the thinking that leads to conflict, um, unnecessary conflict, not not creative conflict. There's a disagreement is great if you take the best of each person's side and come up with a better solution. Disagreement because you're protecting your identity, as we seem to see in our you know political world these days. This is a terrible ignorance and destructive. And then at the deep root of it is we're afraid. 
We're afraid of, our egos are terrified of a feeling of abandonment, a loss of self. We don't know how to hold these feelings. And if you don't know how to hold these feelings, you, you cannot journey deeply into love. You cannot journey deeply into intimacy. And you'll constantly be running away from what life brings. You bring up ego, and uh, one of the things you heard about was ego legitimizes destructive emotion. So to, what does that mean? Well, the ego doesn't have your best interests in mind, ever. The ego just cares that the sense of a separate self, a me or an I, that's special in some way, special because it's smarter, special because it's superior or better, special because it's inferior, more wounded, more hurt, that's all the ego cares about. If, if, if you're starting to feel really triumphant, uh, the ego will keep pushing you into greater and greater inflation and bring down the whole financial institution that way. Or, or if you're not feeling seen, the, the ego might take you into a sense of being inferior, inadequate, uh, weak, no good, unlovable. Anything for you to believe that you're special. That's the game of the ego. I'm special. I stand out inside myself. I'm, I'm not just part of the universal being. I'm not one with all things, in which I would, in a certain sense, disappear into, into the experience of pure consciousness and into the experience of oneness with everyone and everything and become, in true sense, a lover and, and, a, and a blessing giver, a gift giver through our very essence. No, the ego wants you to be separate and special. And, and it doesn't care whether it makes you miserable to do that or it makes everybody else around you miserable to, to do that. And on the other side of that, of course, love is always present in the now. Yeah, more than just on the other side of it. I mean, true love surprises you and will claim you and whoever you're with when the two of you or three of you or five of you meet deeply embodied in the present moment. Love will come. You could be talking about the most difficult things. You can take the shadow of your, your fears and your distrust and bring it forward in a very non-attacking way and in a conversation, in a relationship. And if you have a partner that can listen and be really present and not defend himself or herself from the vulnerable feelings you might be generating or, or that might be coming up because of the things you're saying, love will suddenly take over. It'll take over again and again. Love really is only truthfully alive. I mean, we have conditional love, which is love for our clan, our children, our things, um, which is sustained by a kind of thinking process and identification process. But that deeper love that, that really is the love we, we know is at the heart of, of the great teachers and the great teachings, that love comes unbidden and surprises us and claims us and is renewed over and over again whenever we're really present. It comes from the trees, it comes from the sky, it comes from the earth, and we bless each other with it when we are present together. You talked about it, when you're embracing change and individual revisioning supports collective transformation. So in the sense when we revision ourselves in, in a new way, we're affecting the whole, the whole. Is that right? I, I believe that the field of consciousness of every individual is part of the larger field of consciousness, which goes beyond comprehension for any of us, no matter how deep we've gone. Um, and the closer I come to myself, the closer, the more embodied, present, relaxed, awake, the more my field becomes universal, and, and it's, it's literally broadcasting information, and that information is integrative and healing. Um, and it, it affects people around you. Um, if you it, it, it imbue, it, the, where you live gets imbued with that energy, um, and people feel it. 
I spend 10 minutes with someone and they call me back and say, you know, that pain I had every day for four months, it's gone. Gone maybe for six days or seven days and then the old pattern takes over. But just being in the field of someone who is more connected, more in the now of themselves, is is enormously transformative. But, you know, if you're going to be in the now of yourselves, you have to stop running away from the scary feelings and you have to go stop chasing after the, the, the your memory of the positive feelings because that's just a memory. You know, whatever is real is, is actually happening right now. This question that you ask, who are you really? And it, it brings to mind that we have, uh, you, you used the phrase self-attack. Uh, we're made victims of our own beliefs and thoughts. Well, the real, I mean, what I did with Inside Out Healing, my new book, is try to take these two mistakes we make, identification with our thinking and fear of our feelings, and, and give people a real practice for how to stop doing that. If you say to yourself, I'm not lovable, in the moment you say that, or if you say to yourself, you don't care about me, in the moment you make a statement like that and believe it, neuropeptides, billions of molecules are circulating in your body that are literally attacking your health, attacking your immune system, attacking... They're, they're forcing cortisol and stress hormones into your blood. They're, they're, they're contracting you. They're making your body tense and armored. They're poisoning you. And it's, it's, it's not a deadly poison once or twice, but when you realize that people are thinking those kinds of thoughts and generating that kind of a neuropeptide ocean... Uh, inside of themselves continuously, it is self-abuse. Um, and I don't want people to hear that as a judgment. I want them to hear it as a statement of fact. I'm not being pessimistic. This is just a statement of fact. We have no idea how healthy we would be, physically, emotionally, psychologically, if we could stay more present. So why aren't we present? Because we flee into thinking. And in my book, The Und Inside Out Healing, and as well the earlier one, Mandala of Being, I have, I show this mandala, which shows that there's only four ways we leave the present with our thinking, into stories and about the past and about the future, into judgments about ourselves, and into judgments about everyone and everything else. And these are the poisons. We all want love, like you said before, yet we're constantly judging, constantly separating ourselves constantly creating a, a poisonous milieu of stress inside of ourselves with our minds. And we're not going to get control of that without work. I mean, there's no magic bullet. There's, you know, I mean, the drug companies can keep trying and trying and trying, but they're never going to find a drug that gives them what I feel in my body most of the time. One of the, one of the things, that I, one of the statements that I really appreciated was, the ego makes you into who you have been, who you have been instead of, who you really are and can be. That's right. The ego only is based on memory. So it takes every experience and associates it to some past memory and then recreates you in accordance to a memory and to a remembrance. It never allows you to become someone new, which is why it's so difficult for us human beings to take a new path now, even though we know we're destroying the environment, threatening our own health. We have more diseases now than we ever knew could happen to us. Even while we're making progress with some diseases, we're just getting sicker and sicker in other ways. Um, and we see that the environment is getting sicker, and it's because of our thinking, and it's because of our fear of feeling. That's the very root of all of it. Not greed. Greed comes because there's a fear, and fear isn't being held. Now, greed is a secondary phenomena. Aggressiveness is a secondary phenomenon. Again, people who don't know how to make a safe place for fear, 
And there's only one fear. There's a thousand names for fear. Fear of abandonment, fear of loss, fear of dying, fear of suffocation. I mean, endless names. But there's only one sensation. The body only knows fear in one way. And the aware self can make a safe place for that. But it's not easy to do. When someone is around me, it gets easier for them to do it because I've spent my life doing that for myself. Um, and so is every other person who's progressed deeply on the journey. It's almost as if you get challenged by more and more difficult feeling in order to become a place that it's safer and safer for others to feel those feelings. And that's how we help each other. I'm speaking with Richard Moss. He's the author of Inside Out Healing, Transforming Your Life Through the Power of Presence. If you'd like more information, you can go to the website, richardmoss.com, and moss is M-O-S-S dot com, richardmoss.com. You can also get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. Speaking with Richard Moss, he's the author of Inside Out Healing, Transforming Your Life Through the Power of Presence. And Richard, waking up from the dream and the drama, um, let's talk about that. Uh, I'm in the future, I'm in the past is a way to wake up. No, it's a way to go to sleep. Okay. Um, it, it, from the point of view of survival, we we need to learn from the past, and we need to anticipate the future and plan for it. And that's normal, and it's exciting, especially if you're trying to plan for a future that is improving your life and the lives of all those that you care for. But in fact, the place that you have to go to in order to know what's really good for you and in order to know what's really good for everyone is into the present, into a deeper and deeper connection to the present. Um, Nature is a, there's nothing in nature that's an I that's separate. Nature is a we. Everything in nature is connected to everything else and makes no sense and can't exist except out of connection to everything else. Nature doesn't go into the future or go into the past. We do, and it, it gave us tremendous survival power, but now we can scare ourselves silly when we go into the future. We, it, it happens every day. If, if you just watch yourself when your mind is in the future, chances are you're either in some sort of hopeful thought which is intoxicating you but disengaging you from what's actually happening right now, or you're in some really scary thought that's making you quite anxious because you don't know how you're going to control anything. You can't really predict what the future is going to bring. There's no problem with the past as far as memory. It's the story we tell ourselves, the interpretation of the memory. Um, and if you tell yourself the same story about a memory that you told yourself at the time of the event or shortly after or because someone interpreted for you in a certain way. If you say, for example, my father left us when we, I was 12, he abandoned our family when I was 12. And whatever the psychological experience of, of judging your father that way and in t interpreting your past that way um, is going to recreate itself in that very thought, in that very interpretation of the memory 
when you're 40 years old or 50 years old, 60, you're going to have the same psychology. I, I meet people all the time who tell themselves stories about being hurt or abandoned or betrayed 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and in the moment of telling that are back in the same psycho-emotional reality. Uh, they don't even have an atom of their body that's the same now, uh, you know, f all those many years later. And yet the kind of psychological, psychomental DNA recreates this identity called, which is ego. So, no, that's not the way to come home past and future, even though it's essential. We just have to be able to, I always teach people, keep, your, keep yourself firmly planted in the present and then invest yourself toward the future, but, but don't be attached to getting there. Don't be attached to outcome. And as far as the past is concerned, you, there's no forgiveness until a memory has no power any longer to even cause a ripple in, in your sense of self. Um, and when you get really connected to yourself in the present moment, forgiveness comes completely spontaneously because you're touching into some more universal wisdom. You're going to look back and suddenly reinterpret the past in a completely different way. You'll say, oh my God, my father was overwhelmed, similar to the way I've been feeling lately in my life. He, he was just terrified. He didn't know how to hold his feelings. He, was, he needed to get away. He didn't know how to protect himself from what he was doing. He was doing his best to do that. And of course, he didn't realize the consequences it would have for our family and so forth. Um, and he was a he was a wounded person, and I'm a wounded person. And I, but I have more consciousness of my wound than my father did. And so suddenly, the memory of what my father did is no longer harmful to me because it's connecting to me to a truth about myself, a truth that I can address every day of my life in the way in which I deal with painful feeling or difficult feeling. Um, so that's the healing of coming into the present. It's so powerfully healing. That's why my retreats are so uh, tremendously healing. And I've written over the years about spontaneous remission of disease, but there's been so much emotional and psychological healing because people come so deeply into their bodies, deeply into the now, deeply into the present. And we, I use settings that are in beautiful nature, and nature's just the most magnificent mirror for our true self, our deeper self. And then um, the healing takes place because of being embodied and present, emotional healing, physical healing. And most, I think, all of us have 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 stories, and of course, the problem is identifying with the story, isn't it? Yeah, the the mandala of being that I ex explained so clearly in the book Inside Out Healing, and and, yes. and took us. Uh, into in the, the previous book, Mandala Me, is if you think of it like a compass, and I like to be playful, I think of it like a, a compass in a Harry Potter world, you know? And it's a compass that points to the future, the past, the stories about ourselves, the me stories, and the you stories, the stories about everyone else and everything else. And so, so the compass is sitting in your pocket and you're getting too far into the future and you're beginning to get really anxious because you don't know what's going to happen and you're thinking thoughts and having images about the, and suddenly the compass goes starts vibrating in your pocket and if, if your mind is so occupied maybe it has to give you a little electric shock and it shocks you and then and, and it goes come back come back you're too far into the future what's happening right now come into your body breathe 
breathe, slow your breathing down, feel, listen, smell, what is, what's actually happening right now? And the next thing you know, you're at peace in yourself again. And then suddenly someone looks at you in a funny way, or if someone doesn't answer your phone call and you got to start saying to yourself, boy, I'm, you know, I, people don't really like me. So you're into a, what I call a depressive specialness story, and the compass shouts out to you, wake up, wake up, you're, you're telling yourself a story about yourself, and it's making you depressively special. Wake up, wake up, what's actually happening right now? You come back to your breath, again, to the sounds, the smells, the perceptions, the sensations. You breathe, you quiet down, and you're home, you're home again. And so it's the practice of coming home, back to the present, away from these thoughts that are so poisonous. Even though we need them at times, we can't keep living there, and it's a very undisciplined mind that always lives there. And all the spiritual practices and the whole essence of what contemplative prayer or meditation is about is learning to be in the present moment, observing the mind, but not caught up in it. Well, certainly in these times, particularly because there is so much cause for stress uh, in the outside world on individuals, uh, I'm wondering about worry and, and how we get caught up in worry and get caught up in in a concern that kind of takes us away from what you're talking about being present. Let's talk about that, the, the, how that happens, and, and it's so powerful. Every time you tell yourself a story about the future that scares you, you're telling yourself a story that you don't know is true, and yet you're believing it and hurting yourself. The media, because we are programmed neurologically to look for danger, um, we, we, we respond more immediately to threat than we do to um, beauty. Um, because it, it's wonderful that the forest is beautiful, but if you don't pay attention, the tiger might eat you. you know? and, and that kind of is, is built into our genetic structure and it's built into the way our brains operate and process information. You have to teach yourself that the enemy no lo is no longer the snake that might bite you or the poisonous spider or the, the leopard. It's actually your own thoughts. The enemy right now is the thinking that's, that's scaring you. Nothing else is scaring you but your thinking. Um, this whole idea of terrorism in our society today is, is a form of madness, that we would give permission to people who are deeply frightened people and can do nothing but use fear that they themselves have never learned to address or feelings of helplessness, perhaps. They may be responding to injustice, but they're not addressing their own feelings of powerlessness or helplessness in a healthy way. So they inflict fear on us, and we give them permission to do that, and we honor them with words like calling them terrorists when they're really cowardists. You know, or maybe even coward is not a, a fair judgment. They're really frightened people, very profoundly frightened people. And, and so they're spreading their disease to us, and we're letting that happen. Um, if we don't take seriously that we are at a stage of evolution now called ego, the ego builds, it, it doesn't exist as a separate thing, it's not like a physical body, it's the, it's the result of continuously identifying with these stories about ourselves and the others and our pasts and the way we anticipate and image the future. If we don't realize that ego is a stage of development and that awareness, awareness of our thoughts, awareness of our feelings is is really our deeper birthright and our, our deeper in essence, the ego is going to be the disease that kills us all. And 
it thrives on fear. It just literally thrives on fear because fear will drive it into thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking endlessly. And thinking will never take you home. Never, ever. You have to let the, the thoughts subside, come back into your body, come back into the present moment, stop running from feeling, and then you will be home. And when you're home, you know. And then you know what to do with your thinking. You'll know what is not helpful in your thinking. Um, so I wrote this book because I realized that we, we're in deep trouble because we don't understand the nature of our minds and we're afraid of our feelings. One of the chapters that you dealt with was embracing your dark feelings. And I think this is something, again, uh, most of us, probably all of us, have, 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 have dark feelings. Talk about that. I think it's the most important chapter in the book. Um, you cannot feel joy and not also feel dread. I mean, you can't have warm without cold, you know, pain without pleasure. The feeling nature, there's a, there's a profound continuum of feeling, and I, I have I expressed that, explained that in that chapter. Um, the, the, the thing is that the moment you say, I don't want to feel this, because for, for 10, 20, 40, 80 years you've been saying, I don't want to feel this, um, that you're basically rejecting the present moment. So if you turn your awareness toward a difficult feeling, it's a scary feeling, and you say, wait, I'm willing to feel this. And if, and if in the book I instruct very carefully, be willing to feel something and disengage any form of thinking about the feeling. Because thinking will take you away from the feeling, take you back into ego. Who is, you'll say to yourself, but I felt this before. Who felt it before? That's the ego. That's the past self. You have to literally engage a feeling. Like Heraclitus said, you can never put your foot into the same river twice. There is no such thing as a feeling you felt before. The ego wants you to believe you felt it before. Feel a feeling, even though your ego thinks you felt it before, as if you've never felt it before. Do an experiment. Make believe you've never felt it before. Breathe. Focus on the feeling. But don't contract and fall into the feeling. Stay spacious. Let your senses extend. I use the image of the sun shining out in every direction in the universe, as well as on the planets. So, you know, let your awareness look at this feeling, but let the, your bigger mind expand. And it takes a little practice to do it, but the book is very explicit on how to do it. I mean, really takes people through it. And I've taken thousands of people through this and watched them change their lives as they begin to have the ability to really address these difficult feelings. If the difficult feelings aren't going to throw you into your the protective strategies of your ego, which might be attack or withdrawal, or making yourself special in a negative way or special in a grandiose way, if it doesn't have the power to do that, then you start to have more and more faith in who you are really, that you, that you can make a space for these feelings so you're less threatened. And when you're less threatened, when there's less fear in the world, we have freedom. Freedom sounds like a good thing to me. My guest is Richard Moss. He's the author of Inside Out Healing, Transforming Your Life Through the Power of Presence. The website is richardmoss.com. If you'd like, you can also go to the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions.
My guest is Richard Moss, and he's the author of Inside Out Healing, Transforming Your Life Through the Power of Presence. Richard, let's talk about the continuum of feeling. What is the continuum of feeling? Well, if we if we accept that, that in addition to thinking as a mode of consciousness, feeling is another essential mode of consciousness, then we have to look at the the nature of feeling and feeling doesn't come only with the good side it always com- it also comes with with the challenging side so at the top i think the in mythology the notion of heaven um has to do with truly transcendent experiences of oneness or unity at the at the other extreme of that though or or, or what has been represented is is the, um, the hell, hellish realms and what this is is feeling in the, in the darkest and most abysmal sense. In mythology, there's the descent of Inanna, uh, one of the Sumerian goddess figures, to her dark sister, Rishkagal, below. And it's a process of giving up all your adornments, of being stripped of identity, stripped of, of, of um, the facade of who you think you are, and, and brought down into the most absolutely naked, naked experience of pure, un unprotected feeling, abysmal, difficult feeling. And all of the great heroes and heroines of, of mythology have made that descent into the dark underworld. So what we have to understand is that whatever we want to talk about as enlightenment or freedom or the fullness of life is not just how happy you can be, but how well you can hold the dark feelings. You're not only going to go as high as you can go low. Um, and and that's where we get tested. And nobody, nobody's ego really has that much trouble with feeling good, though the ego does have trouble with feeling wonderful. It won't let you feel wonderful for long. It'll tell you when, it'll ask you, when will this go away? This is, this can't last very long. Um, so I wanted us to try to grasp the idea that, that, that awareness, the power of awareness by being in the present allows you to create a space where you can hold the darker feelings as, as opposed to be threatened by them. Uh, and weakened by them. And that allows the door for a, a greater and greater love and compassion and joy and gratitude to also open to us. Um, there's, no, there's no way to not have that. You, you, you can't be a feeling being and not have the high and the low. And you have to be able to make space for both. As we, as we move into uh, New Wineskins, the last chapter of the book, about uh, how... how that we are moving in a new, in, hopefully in a new direction. Uh, and you used the, the emperor's new clothes, uh, which I, th- most, I think all of our listeners are familiar with. Examine your thoughts to identify stories, and you have very specific instructions as to how to do this. Yes. And so let's talk a little bit about that. The most important work is, especially to clear the emotional world, I mean, is to... Be aware of the kind of story you're telling yourself. That is, you need to wake up and be alert. Um, Sacha Sai Baba, who's recently died, long ago summarized his whole message to humanity, which was, watch your thoughts. We have to watch our thoughts because a a future story is either going to create fear or a false sense of hope. A past story is going to create regret or blame or guilt. Uh, judgments of ourselves are going to puff us up and make us bigger than we really are or shrink us down and make us smaller than we really are. And stories about 
everybody and everything else are just interpret just judgments and what people have to understand is judgments are not true you can't prove that a judgment is true medicine teaches that us all the time you graduate from medical school half of everything you've learned is wrong it's just going to take months or years or decades to find out which material you've been taught is wrong that was true in 1970 1950 and it's true in 2011 it'll be true in 2050 um, it takes time to figure out what's really true uh, in, in, in any predictable and valid sense. So the important thing to understand about a judgment of yourself or a judgment of others or a judgment by Republicans of Democrats or Democrats of Republicans is that the truth is the psycho-emotional reality it creates in you. It's the emotion your story creates in you that is its truth. That's its only truth. So you're really telling yourself lies, but believing in the truth of the emotion they create. The, the, and that, that, is, that is so important that we stop and look. That's why the, the book is a breakthrough in, in the sense that by saying there are only four categories of thought, only four ways your thinking can, can affect you, it's going to be about you making you bigger or smaller. It's going to be about others making them bigger or smaller. It's going to be about the past, and it's either going to be a, a negative reminiscence or a positive reminiscence, or it's going to be about the future. It's going to be either a positive expectancy or a negative expectancy. And that is going, the only truth of that is only going to be that the negative expectancy makes you unhappy or scared or terrible, or terrified. The, the, the negative Reminiscence is going to make you guilty or regretful or unhappy. The positive reminiscence is going to make you nostalgic. But you're not going to be here. You're not going to be alive, what I call radically alive, really here. So it becomes so essential to watch the thought. Oh, now I'm telling myself a me story. It's making me depressive. I'm going to stop this story right now and be who I am actually right now, independent, not, not, not the result of a thought. Emotions are the amalgamation of thinking and feeling. You, you take a thought and, and you link it to feeling and you end up with anger. You end up with jealousy. You end up with resentment. The only way to stop emotions is to watch the thought and to realize, oh, this is a, a negative use story. This is making someone else smaller. It's devaluing someone else's beliefs. It's devaluing money. Or oh, this is making money more important. You know, this is a, an exaggerating the significance of money or... And, and you watch the thoughts, and you need to watch the thoughts, because otherwise your thought will take you over emotionally. And you suggest writing down, writing the story down, right? Writing. Absolutely. I suggest putting the mandala down on the ground, but the me, you, past, and future positions, as it, the book shows, me is at 9 o'clock, and you is at 3 o'clock, and future is at 12, and... Past is at six o'clock, but deep the center of a mandala is always, all mandalas are circles, strongly oriented toward the center. The center is this moment, right now, your awareness, the sensations, the perceptions right now. Write down the used stories. Look at what they create in you. Look at what how they affect you. Write down the past stories. Look at the, the, the only truth of the story is how it makes you feel. It's not true. You, even, even memory uh, isn't true. Uh, there's so much research, and I quoted in the book, about how, how we, we remember things over and over again in different ways. And then we believe the most recent version of our memory um, against what we wrote down about an event that happened five minutes after the event a year ago. We believe that the memory we have today of the event is truer than the one that happened 
when the event took place. And this is very interesting because it shows that imagination and memory are, are deeply linked in the brain, and we can't separate imagination from memory. And people believe their memories are real, and they are not. <laughs> One of the exercises at the, at, toward, at the end of the book is, is the muddy me exercise. Talk about, talk about the muddy me. What is that? Yeah. Well, I use the image of a bottle, you know, clear water, and you put some dirt in the bottle. And if the dirt settles to the bottom, the water's clear. But every time you say to yourself, I'm not lovable, it's like shaking the bottle up and you become emotionally muddy. Every time you say, he doesn't really care about me or he's not thinking about me, you, you become angry or hurt or sad. And, and again, it's like shaking up the bottle. So the muddy me sheet literally asks people to take a look at... What you're telling yourself, you ask yourself the question, I wonder what I'm telling myself about me, myself, or you, the past or the future that's causing me to become so emotionally muddy. And then you write down the me stories, the stories about yourself, and you write down the you stories, the stories about him, her, it, them. I mean, a you story could be about your body. It could, it could be about your career. It could be about um, your wife, your mother, your children. It could be about anything. You write down the past stories, you know. You write down the future stories. And then one by one, you look and you see, okay, if I identify with this story, how, what does it make me feel? What happens to me? And you, and you teach yourself the consequence of believing that story in a conscious way as opposed to unconsciously identifying with it. And then you step into the center and the now position of the mandala and you go, okay, if I were so connected to myself, and parenthetically, let me say, so much of what, my retreats are about are to give people direct experience of this deeply embodied present moment now state so that from that point on that becomes the new touchstone for understanding the poison of the story and so you come back into the center and you say okay if, if I wasn't telling myself that story because I was so connected to myself how would I be and suddenly you actually in, in, through active imagination can feel a very different state and in the contrast, you are able to see the folly of what you're doing to yourself. There's a story, there's some words at the end of the book, which I think capture uh, what we've been talking about, what you've been talking about. Can you read those for us? Sure. When your voice and heart are united in deeply felt speech or song, there are few prayers more powerful. The gates of heaven can open to you. Perhaps you don't believe you can do this. Maybe you think you don't know how. But as a teacher who's been opening these doors to people for more than 30 years, I can assure you that indeed you can. You just have to be willing to take the risk of yourself. This is really what it comes down to, risking to let yourself become radically alive. It will help you heal. At the very least, it may soothe your body and take away pain. Being that alive, even if only for a matter of moments, may actually cure you of illness. But even if that doesn't happen, your heart will be overflowing with gratitude. And there is no medicine more powerful than the energy of your own grateful heart. Richard, thank you for being here. Thank you, Michael. Always a joy. I've been speaking with Richard Moss, and he's the author of Inside Out Healing, Transforming Your Life Through the Power of Presence, published in paperback by Hay House. If you'd like more information about the work of Richard Moss, you can go to the website, richardmoss.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. 
My name is Michael Toms, and you've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3401. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.